Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the uh, Vox Podcast post-insurrection edition. We are here, <laughs> and we are grateful uh, to uh, to be a Paul, a, a Paul, a small part of your life, or Paul of your life. Either way, that was a, that was a spoiler. We've yeah, seriously, we've got we've got <laughs> Gombus today, and um, we're asking Gombus to reflect a bit on how we should be processing the 6th of uh, January in theological terms, how, um, how we should talk about uh, Christian leaders, how we should talk about, a, uh, and what should we be involved in in, Christ, in terms of Christian communities. So it's a lot of very practical stuff with one of our favorite Pauline scholars ever. And as always, we're so grateful that he's just willing to talk out loud with us. He just, we're yeah. just batting stuff around like we would in a barbecue or something. Remember that show? That. Uh, remember that show, Herman's Head? Nope. I you remember that. It was like an MTV era TV show, and the whole thing was a cast of people that lived inside this guy's head, Herman. Whoa! And so Herman would be like having interactions in real life, but then we would go into his head, and we would hear all the people that live in his head. That's wow! Kind of what I feel like so, sometimes during these conversations, like we're all just parked in Gombus's head, and he's just like, <laughs> "Oh, yeah." He, his neurons were firing. Um, and, uh, and, and so anyway, we're excited about that before we dive in, um, we are going to get back to the sermon on the Mount, but we just wanted to spend some more time on this. Um, you know, we're watching, we're coming up on the inauguration day and hearing about further threats and, you know, it's, it's just, uh, there's nothing in our collective imaginations that would have produced a virus that's dominated life in America for a year in the world. And then this yeah. particular election cycle, we knew it was going to be crazy, but wow. Um, and so before we, we dive in, we just want to do a couple of housekeeping items. And, and we always do these up front because we're, I mean, we really are. Uh, these are people who are responsible for the ongoing nature of the podcast. We have this whole, yeah. we have we have a board that oversees this. We have our friend Brenda and her team that are helping us with uh, renaming and rebranding stuff. Uh, we have Tim working all of the editorial production magic. Um, we have friends of the podcast like Bonnie and Gombus and others who have just been wise voices, uh, both on air and off. Uh, to us over many, many different um, areas of conversation. Um, so we have a lot of help and we have a community of people. <laughs> we, I mean, no shot, no shock there, but we have a community of people who financially uh, support the podcast. And um, I missed reading out the names. So I have, I have two weeks of names and, and again, I mean, we don't, we're, we're never going to do ads or we're not, you know, this is not a, um, um, an exercise in, <laughs> uh, trying to take over Joe Rogan's seat in, uh, you know, podcast heavyweights. Or is it? Uh, well, um, uh, but, but it's, it's just super encouraging when people see a lot of value in this and, uh, and come on and, and help. And so I want to say thank you to Emily and Lucas and Katie and Daniel and Alex and Dawn and Steve and Rick and Sarah and Brian and Richard. And and I don't know how to pronounce this name. Forgive me. It's spelled H-A-K-J-O-O-N. 
Um, Hakjun, Hajun, no idea. I'm a Midwestern white guy and was never taught to pronounce names more complicated than Christopher. So um, I just want to say thank you to all of those people who have come on board. And if you're interested in doing that, you can go to patreon.com, type in Vox Podcast with Mike Erie, and um, you can find out more information there. Also go to voxpodcast.com, like, rate, subscribe if you would. All of that keeps our algorithms happy. Uh, because, you know, after watching The Matrix with my son Nate this weekend, it's all about the algorithms, my friends. We have met our algorithmic overlords, and um, they are fans of reviews. So there you go. Every time I have deja vu, I always think about the glitch. Am I glitching? It's when the agents are coming, man. If you've not yeah. seen The Matrix, what is it, 99, 97? 99-ish, probably, somewhere around there. Yeah. Man, when he when the guy willingly goes in there and has that bite of steak, oh, it's like the tastiest looking thing. Oh, yeah. But I mean, spoiler, if any part of, that's probably the highlight of the whole film. Spoiler. Spoiler, um, he's a carnivore. And, one and, of, one and, of the characters. And, and one of your friends literally, this the ending of the movie is so like salvific that one of your friends released it up and yelled, and now I want to tell you about Jesus Christ at the end of it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> there were, do I don't you know how much anybody money, taking him up on that. <laughs> do you remember how much money was made on books that came out saying, Oh yeah. You know, the, the, the Christian, the Christian market is of, of really, really well, well oiled machine. Yeah. Within six months. It cranks out stuff so quick. Oh yeah. <laughs> The Christian themes in the Matrix was a thing. Um, the anyway, according to Neo, I have no idea why I brought that up, except to say, oh, algorithms. So thank algorithms. you. Algorithms. Yep. So Gotta thank feed you. The algorithm. And speaking of algorithms, here is Dr. Timothy Gombas. Ladies and gentlemen, my daughter is trying to catch our dog right now, and it's hijinks over Lifetime. here at the Erie household. Um, we are joined today by a man. There aren't many people who are famous enough to just get a one-word name, right? You got Oprah, you got Prince, you've got... Maradona. That's that's that'll date you, but yes, also absolutely. Madonna. Yep, also Madonna. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, today we have Gombas in the house. Dr. Timothy Gombas, professor, Grand Rapids Theological Seminary. Welcome, my friend. We are recording this. Uh, I don't know what week it is in January. It feels like, frankly, it feels like a year has gone by in the first two weeks. It's week um, thirty-two of January. Seriously, man. <laughs> Um, I, I, and I know you've been, um, outspoken on your own podcast, which we highly recommend by the way, a faith improvised, um, about your thoughts of the political situation, uh, going on these days. But I, I was wondering if we could get into a bit today, uh, about how Paul, we want you to channel, channel your, uh, inner apostle Paul, 
um, about how how we ought to conceive of some of the things that we're that we're watching. When is you know when, when is anger an appropriate response? When is uni- a call for unity inappropriate? When is um, when is you know when do Paul's words on quarreling uh, need to be reinforced? I mean, there's just so many really difficult issues to kind of unpack these days. Uh, first of all, take us through a little bit about how you thought um, about what happened a couple of weeks ago on the sixth. What 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 what, what kind of was going through your mind uh, when you were watching that, and then in the in the days after. Uh, let's see here. I try to, I try to seeing kind of crazy things like that going, I try to think about them from a variety of perspectives and try to think about, um, you know, obviously it was shocking. It, you know, it was really astonishing to see it happening. Um, at the same time, it was astonishing to see, you know, mobs, um, you know, rampaging through the nation's capital. And and also like just a bunch of complete, uh, just bizarre kind of people just sort of milling about. Like people were, there was like no purpose. They were just kind of wandering around. (laughs) That's just, yeah. And especially, you know, if you've been to the nation's capital, you know how much security is just all over the place. Um, At the same time, what I've tried to challenge myself with thinking about especially over the last couple of years is um, thinking about the condition of the church, thinking about our nation and, and its history and thinking about reality constantly. I'm, I'm try- trying to step inside of other people's shoes here, but I'm trying to look at, at our, our country and its history and our current situation from the perspective of black people, hmm. uh, because the, you know, they've always, they've never, I mean, going back a number of years, I've tried to winnow down and identify and eliminate from my thinking all the narratives about our country that are false. You know, you, you guys and I grew up with like positive visions of America, America's, you know, American exceptionalism, America's the world's answer. We're a city on a hill. Um, we're, we're the, you know, the, we're the cop, the policeman of the world. And that's a good thing. The world should be thanking us and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we got some flaws, but overall, we're kind of the height of history. Well, to be a genuine kingdom of God inhabitant means identifying all of those false narratives and ridding them of my thinking. And so, I've tried to imagine life from 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 a marginalized person's perspective. Try to think about our nation from the perspective of people who have had violence done to them routinely and systematically over the last four hundred years. And um, trying to get rid of illusions. And I honestly, what this January 6th, watching those events unfold, I just thought, of course, like this is us. This is, this was, this is not the moment of outrage. The moment of outrage was when, when the, um, I'll just speak very frank. Well, when the clownish figure came down the escalator and gave a speech demonizing mexicans as rapists that was the moment of outrage and if we were not outraged at that moment and if we did not see all this coming then we have we then we're in a pitiful state and we're not prepared to reckon with january 6th at all because that was the moment when 
um, when a political figure directed the collective uh, rage and anger and suspicion and resentment toward foreigners. And as soon as you have like an us against them scenario, and as soon as you gen as soon as you channel all that resentment toward an other and uh, sort of stir up xenophobia, um, it's, it's just, a, it's inevitable that a moment like January 6th takes place. Mm. Um, so, and then even going back before that to, to not understand the white supremacists underpinnings of our culture, to not understand the racialized character of this nation and it's racialized um, stratification of, of whiteness and white people over black people and brown people. Um, to not grapple with all that is to not understand that, um, that this was coming. And then just the incendiary, incendiary rhetoric of the whole campaign in 2015, 2016 of demonizing black people, demonizing uh, foreigners, demonizing Muslims, all of that all of that uh, channeled all this rage. I mean, you could see it at the, the president's, well, I mean, it, he was a candidate at the time, but all those rallies uh, crying for violence against people that were there just observing, um, generating violent and abusive behavior toward the press. You know, people were there at rallies throwing stuff at the at just people covering it, throwing batteries, throwing a, a lot of other stuff. This growing resentment and the channeling of, of white rage and resentment, um, it, it has this outcome. And um, it, it, had, it was inevitably coming to this point. I honestly am really surprised that we didn't have this before in the nation's capital. I'm really shocked uh, looking back. I sent a text just to, just to have it on record. I sent a text to a good friend of mine last March. And I said, I'm putting this here as a marker I do not believe we're going to have an election. So I'm, really, I'm actually shocked that we had an election because of everything that the president was uh, stirring up. And then I'm, I'm really surprised that it was as secure as it was. But I'm surprised we didn't have violence, more violence uh, around election day and that it took this long is really surprising. So anyway, I, this, is, this is the history of our nation. It's been a, we have a violent history we were born in violence. Uh, we were built on the violence um, directed towards black bodies and stolen African people brought here and enslaved. I mean, this is our history. So I think that um, it's a kind of a naive white innocence that is really shocked by January 6th. Mm. And um, if we were, if we were genuinely truth speaking Christian people, I think that I've been trying to think about things from this perspective. If Paul is traveling on mission, like say through Galatia and people on the far edge of the, you know, the empire are, if, if, um, if he had received word or if people were talking about some violence that was done in Rome, um, by one thug's armies against another thug. I mean, all these great generals in Roman history, they're all just like thugs with their own private armies. It's just such a thuggish kind of reality, you know, ancient Rome. 
But if Paul hears about some violence done by one Roman general and his army against another Roman general, does that determine anything for a kingdom of God community far away in Galatia? So I've been trying to think from that perspective, as a member of a kingdom of God community here, which is about 60 people strong these days uh, at my church, does it really matter that there was violence done in, in the capital of a, of a nation a couple hundred miles away? Well, 700 miles away that has a history of, of um, bloodshed from the very beginning. I mean, is that newsworthy? I don't know. Mm. Mm. Sure felt that way, particularly when it was baptized um, with some Christian symbols and the announcement that Jesus saves and Jesus is savior. How do we, so what, what, so, so for Paul, I mean, the, the difference is that there wasn't any ichthus well, present. Actually, hold on. That's like, um, that's um, <clears throat> completely you know, blasphemous, obviously. But it's just, isn't it just as blasphemous that we've had these kind of, uh, these marriage of symbols for generations of like, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I, I taught at a Christian college formerly in some years ago where every year they would have a Veterans Day chapel and have like pictures of crosses with like, you know, jets across them. And it was like this glorious marriage of like unleashing violence on the world at the same time as it's like a symbol of our faith. So it's like, I I totally get it. I'm just, I'm trying to look back behind, peel back the layers of January 6th and just say, where where should we have been shocked all along? If that was shocking, where should we have been shocked? Right. You know, because this is the culmination of something. It's not like a new. Right. Like a new thing. Holy this God. is not out of nowhere. Yeah. Totally. And, and many of our black brothers and sisters have been just saying recently, hey, we told you. Totally. You know, this, we've been talking about this. <laughs> yeah, black people cannot afford to have illusions. Right. And they, they know who we are. They know our hypocrisies and they know the character of of uh, our nation's history and they know the hypocrisy of, of white christianity so let's dig into your rome analogy a little bit the difference there is that there weren't christians in rome siding with one faction against another so let's add that layer and then talk about paul's response right yeah. so 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 does that matter to a christian kingdom community 700 miles away seems like it does what um what do you, what's Paul's word to the churches that are close and to the Christians that are involved? Yeah, so thinking about that's exactly right. So just that difference that you mentioned, I'd want to camp there for a while. Yes. So if we the difference is that Christians in say first century Galatia, like in like in Lystra, they see um, or they should have seen the biggest deal in the world is my inhabitation of a kingdom of God community that uh, it looks weak and vulnerable. And we're just trying to make it through the day, make it through the week, just trying to figure out a way forward. And uh, what's true about us is that we are um, enjoying God's blessing now through gathering, having a meal, and we are headed for the kingdom of God and his fullness in the future. And it does not matter if this general or that general 
is in power in Rome, a couple hundred miles away. It does not matter. So what is, what is thoroughly corrupted about contemporary Christian imaginations in America is that we imagine it matters everything that this or that political party is in power and uh, we see them on TV sort of owning the other party or we watch them on Twitter owning the other party. So that's one thing that is radically messed up <clears throat> that we imagine. I mean, nobody in the first century in the Roman Empire thought um, that Christian realities would, would come crashing down if Rome came crashing down or that Christian realities would come crashing down if this general rather than that general was in power. But Americans have so associated uh, America with Christianity that, you know, when America inevitably goes, you know, the way of the Ottoman Empire, basically in, in, on ashes <laughs> history, it's like we, we, we would be in crisis. And there's, that's, that is highly problematic that we have not camped on and maximized our Christian identity and separated it and distinguished it from our American identity. And that has a lot to do with not being able to see the distinction between uh, this party or that party as, or not to not being able to see the reality that is completely irrelevant, which party's in power. The church still has its agenda. The right. church still has its political socioeconomic agenda of blessing and hospitality and but doesn't it but doesn't it matter because unlike rome we get we have input so the counter to that is well if we can enact laws and work for laws that promote flourishing and justice then of course that would matter that's that's and doesn't isn't our very participation um assumed as our civic duty you know, blah, 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 blah. So I can hear, I hear that, but I can also hear people say, well, yeah, but, but, but we can help save the lives of the unborn or we get a say in how we treat immigrants. So of course it matters either for the right or the left. Yeah. Yeah, totally. We get, we have a, we have a vote every two years, every four years about which party or which, you know, which figures are going to sort of run uh, the national system. That's for sure. But that should be, I don't know, to my mind, that's the least, that's the least effective or the least, the um, least amount that, that my efforts affect my wider environment. Mm. And as our church, as a church, there's loads of political action that we can take as far as advocating for, uh, justice in our local situations and that's the yep. that's the location of all of my political activity see that no that tim right there that that is so unappreciated and missed oh completely in, i in never thought about any, any of this yeah yeah unfortunately we have this understanding of being christian that's privatized and personal and has nothing to do with contemporary life but the church, in Paul's view, the church of Jesus Christ is a kingdom of God community that is its own political entity that has no loyalties to any party, no loyalties to any nation, and is is loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ alone, and is given as a gift to every local situation so that the church blesses, the church welcomes, the church looks out for the marginalized, has solidarity with those who suffer. 
And as far as my own tradition, we have just not even like we've not even taken the first step in imagining the kinds of political behaviors, postures, attitudes, actions, speech acts that we could be doing in our local situations to advocate for the oppressed, to look out for people that don't have a voice. Right. So we've we've so narrowly defined being political to voting. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, so yes, I'm, I am Christian basically 30 minutes every two years, every four years. Right. And then, you know, for a little while each Sunday where that doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. We've, yeah. But so America, I mean, if you really peel back the layers, America as a politic of violence has neutered the church and has shaped the way that the church can be political and has identified mm-hmm. and isolated it to only, you know, 30 minutes, every two years, every four years. We just, we just don't know how to be political. We've not taken the time to flex that muscle of, of our imaginations, right. but we've been, we've been owned. Yeah. Right. So you can imagine the good that a 60 person kingdom outpost can do Yeah. in much more importantly, on the abortion issue or on the immigration issue or what have you, as opposed to, you know, blood, sweat and tears over which party or which justice or which Congress will be in power. Yeah, totally. So, so let's push this, push into this a little further. So let's, 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 so that's, that are, that are, that's some ways that maybe it's um, a little different today, but let's go back to Lystra and to Paul, and, and Paul is seeing that there are some Christians who've gotten involved in siding against a, one general against another. Uh, what's his response to this, do you think? I mean, do we get any glimpses of how he might respond to that in some of his um, writings? I mean, how does where I'm trying to go with this, Timothy, is what's the role of Christian leaders? What's the role of Christian communities? And what's the role of um, this cry that I'm hearing all of a sudden from Republicans and evangelicals for unity? Um, I that that frustrates me to no end, and I'm trying to set you up for a sledgehammer. So I'm working I'm working slowly that direction. Well, I uh, okay. Starting from the premise that the American Christian imagination is thoroughly corrupt. Um, and we just haven't even begun to think well about so much of this. And also my assumption that I just don't, I don't have any expectation of convincing anybody of anything. Um, I mean, <laughs> but, really, but we, don't, but we don't get to forsake that. Do we, uh, I mean, I hear you and that'd I mean, I be nice you guys about stuff, but I don't, I do not. Well, I, I guess I also understand. Um, I mean, uh, I think we have to have a really, really profound, thoroughgoing grasp of how pervasive and complete um, the present evil age and the powers that rule the present evil age have captured um, Christian evangelical Christian imaginations. If they if they have a political, if they imagine that it's um, like, like, say, the Trumpist impulse. Um, what, what I'm trying to get at is, I'm, I mean, I'm in the middle of reading Ann Applebaum's book right now, which I can never remember the title of, um, uh, but, oh, The Twilight of Democracy, uh, The Allure, The Seductive Allure, or is it The 
the seductive lure of autocracy. Mm. And she talks a lot about how uh, the impulse in crowds and in, in the populace that looks to a strong man and um, that is attracted to autocracy, it is, it is not at the level, it's not, it's not intellectual. It's not at the level of ideas. You can't convince anybody. It's at the level of emotion, at, at the level of imagination. It's at the level of hatreds and resentments and suspicions and fears and nostalgia. It's this toxic brew that is, that captures imaginations. And people are, it's like, yeah, people are enslaved to a madness. It's a mania. It's not like an ideological position. Hmm. So, um, like, I see figures like, you know, Franklin Graham or, I don't know, evangelical leaders. I mean, what makes them a leader? They're just this popular figure. And I don't know. Yeah. But I see the, I see the crowds, evangelical crowds that um, that flock to these kinds of figures and that have sort of a fanatical devotion to the current president, it's a, it's a symptom of an, of an enslaved imagination. And it's not like, so anyway, like I'm, I'm happy to talk with you guys about some of the stuff and I'm for people who have ears to hear, I'm, I hope that they hear, but I just don't have any hope of convincing anybody or turning anybody aside from the mania. Cause it's, it's not like people are entertaining ideas. It's, it's a manic condition that so, has everything to do so with, an enslaved imagination so what does paul the pastor do let's say let's say this infects his churches i mean what he doesn't so, he did it, it seems to me he doesn't just sit back yeah well right? he talks to his churches that's for sure so i mean if i were to think about like how would you be how would you be a pauline pastor today what would yes. you do okay now we're cooking it's like i I would only think about my congregation. I would not think about the mass of evangelicals. I don't, we don't, I mean, I think about my church yeah. and those people. Yeah. And um, I think I would, I would not want to have started like this week. This would be something that I, I would want to have seen um, the anger and the resentment and the fear and um, the suspicion for decades building toward now. So um, all of the dynamics that are up and running in people who have an addiction, say to like Fox news, I mean, Fox news and, and media outlets like that have been fomenting this for decades and have been actively capturing uh, white Christian, mainly but white conservative people's imaginations and sowing their imaginations with fear and anger and resentment. Yeah. Uh, toward immigrants, toward Muslims, towards um, black people um, and others. And I would have wanted to have been going to work on the imagination of my churches to, to talk about the toxic, the fatality toward Christian faith of fear and resentment. Like fear and resentment um, in scripture, like in James 3 and in like in the, in the passage where... Um, Saul grows anger, angry and, and jealous of David. I mean, fear and anger and resentment along that line open up to demonic enslavement. And um, Paul lists like in his uh, vice lists, he lists mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. like um, witchcraft and orgies 
and abusive speech. Like, like you're like, wait a minute, Paul, like abusive speech <laughs> is just what I watch for 60 minutes every night on Fox News. That's no big deal. With, and abusive speech is what I hear from, you know, pastors like John MacArthur, as I listened to all his sermons like that. That's no big deal. That's not as bad as witchcraft and orgies, is it? Well, for Paul, it is like toxic. You know, anger is toxic and resentment is toxic. And abusive speech is high-handed sin against what God is doing in generating in sustaining the unity of his people. So I think that I would have wanted to have been alarmed for years leading up to 2015 and 16 when this candidate and then subsequent president began whipping up the suspicions and fears and resentments of white evangelical people. I would have wanted to have seen that as like an absolute five alarm fire in 2015. So like I I don't know what to do about people that want to start today. Like what do pastors do today with all this on their hands? It's like, man, this has been building for like, yeah, but a lot of us, but it's like, it's like the race conversation. If I, if I'm honest, um, I, I just wasn't aware until videos started showing up on the internet of black people being abused by law enforcement. Yep. I just, I had no awareness. I mean, that's part of privilege, right? Is I had no clue. And then I'm seeing it over and over and it's gradually dawning on me. Oh my Lord, this is an entirely different America that I have to come to grips with. Right? So there has to be, there has to be grace for some who've, it wasn't until 2017 or 2018 that they went, hold on a second. I'm seeing all these conspiracy theories. And then I'm hearing from some Christians, hey, this this is part of the gospel fight. This is like, this is advancing the kingdom. I'm hearing from other Christians, don't talk politics. Just why would you divide your church? And then I'm hearing from other Christians, man, you got to condemn this full throated and Trump's the antichrist. And I mean, so, so I have, I have tremendous amount of grace for those of us who are here now going, well, what do we do? What do we do? I wish you know, I was opposed um, to the evangelical embrace of Trump from the get-go, but um, I did. I was convinced no one would take him seriously. That was my that was my mistake. I just I I, I figured everyone just saw him as a buffoon, and um, no one would take that seriously. So, totally totally wrong about that. But yeah. uh, but I think there are people waking up to seeing this huge split in their church. And they're asking, well, what do I do now? So. Yeah, what do you do? Yeah. Yeah, that's Pauline a scholar. scholar. Let's go. Like I said, it's. it's. Um, do you just walk away? Well, it depends on who you're talking about. Like, I'm just an average Christian. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a pastor. I'm just an average churchgoer. Mm. So I just get to go to church and love all the people that are there. But if I was a pastor, um. I, I I think I would be wanting to talk a lot about um, what loyalty to Christ looks like and how that's not the same as loyalty to any kind of a movement. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'd want to start talking about the toxicity and the fatality to Christian faith of, of anger and resentment, mm-hmm. of abusive speech. Um, I'd want to talk about the virtues of listening and about... Um, about the importance of unity. I mean, it's always a good time to start. Like you were saying, Mike, I mean, it's, you got to start from somewhere. 
but if these are but if these are intellectual arguments then what good is preaching yeah well this is what i'm saying in preaching i'd want to talk about all these things mm. and want to be pointing out um the sources the sources of i mean if i were to start this week if i was a pastor starting this week like what do i do yeah i'd want to start talking about what paul envisions as um kingdom of god virtues and in, in community and about cultivating postures of um of welcome toward outsiders so that means we've got to look at outsiders people that are unlike us as the people that we are blessed to welcome and serve and love mm. and what are and then wanting to take i'd take some time i'd take a couple of weeks and talk about that from a couple of different passages and talk about what are the messages and what are the assumptions that lie in our own hearts and our, in our own minds that would keep us from being hospitable why do we look at immigrants as dangerous um, and then think about our, the character of our Christian identities as people that have given up um, our possessions and our standing in this world, knowing that we are going to inherit everything in the world to come. And what are the sources of our fear? Are we, are we afraid that we're going to lose our stuff? And why are we attached to our stuff? And what, do we not understand the character of our Christian identity as a people that are dead to this present evil age and alive to the age to come? I, I would want to talk about all of that all the time and start drawing the connections the problem is i think that for many pastors this they would have to start learning the connections because we've just not we've not act you know we've not run run the implications out in our own minds and hearts and um but it's always time to start i mean this is where mm -hmm. this is what i'd want to start doing in my in my local congregation um, and what if you were accused of being divisive because you were preaching these things? Yeah, that probably would happen. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I, don't, <laughs> I mean, this is for my, for my, like, this is something that I've been doing for the last 20 years as I've been talking about these things in classrooms and routinely going back to the biblical text to show where I'm talking about this from the Bible. Mm -hmm. like, like Jesus uh, in Hebrews, Hebrews exhorts mm -hmm. um, his the writer of Hebrews exhorts his audience uh, to practice hospitality, which is phil philoxenia, love of the stranger, xenia, which is the same root word for xenophobia. Which so strong men stir up xenophobia, fear of the stranger, fear of the foreigner, mm. and um, I'd want to talk about the this. Um, uh, the subject matter over which Jesus will judge us when we arrive at the throne from Matthew 25 about welcoming the foreigner and visiting people in jail and just talk about Christian identities as all these things. Mm -hmm. And um, if I were a pastor accused of, of division, I guess I'd want to know, um, I'd want to know what, what's the basis of that. What are you talking about? Um, at the same time, I, this is why I've said, um, in a number of places, <laughs> the structure of church life in America has been hardwired for us to never talk about this. Yeah. And, and if I am only recently coming to see that this is necessary for us to talk about, I mean, very honestly, I've just not said anything online. I know. For a couple of weeks, because I've just thought, well, it's over. I, the time when we should, the five alarm fire was in 2015. Hmm. And if we didn't see it then, what are you going to do now? 
I mean, right now, if I were to start when everything is at the absolute boil and, and not only that, but this is the start. I mean, what we saw January 6th is the beginning. Uh, this is, this is going to be an era that will be with us for a while um, of violence. And um, this is not, this is not over, but um, if I were just to be awakened right now, I think I'd want to start, I don't know, lamenting or confessing sin or having prayer services of uh, praying for wisdom and guidance. Mm -hmm. I'd want to start reading and gathering resources on character of white Christian nationalism and the character of, mm -hmm. uh, of uh, autocracy. I think dark days are coming for us. And, um, but yeah. So like I said, January 6th was not, if January 6th is the start of, of feeling alarmed, I think that we're in real trouble. Hmm. Like we're in real trouble. What do you think about that, Stafford? I do think we're in trouble. I don't know. I the no, I think nostalgia is a hell of a drug, and all, so much of this uh, hatred and violence has been rooted in that, which I think is really fascinating. Like making America great again, and yeah. you know this this again thing, and you just and you hear that rhetoric. Uh, you hear it from the people in the videos that were at the little, you know, riot at the Capitol, but you hear it from the people in the church too, trying to get back to something. And like when you say stealing uh, imaginations, I almost feel like it's not even like stealing them. They're just imagination has been like force fed. It's like I I don't know that people have an imagination in this in this context of this conversation. I don't know if it's been misled or if it's just been like lobotomized and then replaced with something else. That's what I'm afraid of is that, hmm. you know what I mean? It's like a, uh, it's a, it's a complete failure of imagination. It's a lack of imagination to have landed on this president. This is the one that you're going to double down on. This is the one that you're going to go to war for this guy. Mm -hmm. That's a complete failure of imagination. I've been listening to, uh, um, you two, this this last week over and over. Well, the, uh, Just listen. When I look at when I look at the world, sucking up. <laughs> no, well, I was gonna text it to you, but then I was like, I'm sure you've you have thought of because I keep it's a, a common phrase like Jesus. I want to see what you see. So I've been listening to that song over and over again. It's like, and and that idea. I want to see what you see when you look at the world. That's what I want. I want to see. I have a failure of imagination and I have a pretty decent imagination and mine's failing because I do, um, I am, I can be just as guilty of um, having my imagination um, constructed by somebody else. And, and for, you know, if it's a leftist thing, um, it can be the same thing for me. I need to understand what Jesus sees in this world. And I need to see and understand. I need to see with new eyes, with his eyes and understand exactly how he sees all of this and how he sees his children and how he sees this tragedy, you know? And, um, I don't know. It's, it's mm -hmm. a weird time period. People are Tim, hurt and struggling. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I mean, this is, yeah. Um, Tim Gombas, um, 
so so there is a mania it seems attached to conspiracy theories and how do how does paul how does paul's thinking of unity in the church apply do you think in situations like these so uh because i've heard that that call well we, we you know we needed to move beyond this and be unified we need to heal we need to, you know whatever and I, and i see christians who um have taken me and others to task who've spoken about this just about you're just adding to the division um how do so when paul's calling to unity when paul's calling his church to unity where does what does that mean where are the limits to that uh well it's it's absolute so i mean there's no limits to it but um to my mind being christian being christian involves unstintingly i mean unafraid leaning into the truth of what's real so um the church i mean i think the church should be involved primarily i mean as like you mike i mean i i feel like i've just gotten a recent education and i'm only i feel like i'm taking baby steps and learning about our racialized history mm-hmm. um i think the church has to take the lead in confessing our national sins and confessing our the truth about our nation's history like we have never we've never been willing to tell the truth about our character as a people as a nation and that's what the that's what the church does we speak the truth Hmm. and so um with the the events over the last really 50 years ever since 1970 this has been building in the backlash to the 60s sort of in like white middle class respectable roiling rage at at uh developments and you know rights for black and brown people and um sexual revolution all that kind of stuff this has been building since 1970. um i think it's the church's task to to be very attentive to this moment and and refuse to rush past it i mean we our national sins have come into full view and we should be fully prepared to listen and to talk about them and confess them and to own to own the realities of who we are mm-hmm. knowing that we are and that's not self-flagellation we're already a loved people we're already loved by god we're already welcomed into his family we're already guaranteed an inherit- inheritance in the future of all things and we've already died to this world so we have nothing to defend so we can be open to self-examination mm-hmm. and um i think it's a it's not a christian posture whatsoever to just like say well we don't want to I mean, this first John, if we deny our sins, we, uh, the truth is not in us. Like, let's listen. Let's be open to examination. What has happened? What was done? Um, you know, so yeah, impulses to kind of paper over things are really unfortunate. I mean, I've yeah. tried to, I understand what people are saying. I mean, I, I, I don't know about like, you know, writing things online. I mean, you, um i've tried to identify and speak plainly about things like on media social media but i've tried to adopt a posture of confession as i do that like Mm -hmm. these are these are realities ideologically enslaving dynamics that have practical 
outcomes and I'm, I'm writing about them because I'm caught in them and without like accusing people or calling people out. Mm. Um, at the same time, I think it's a, the appropriate Christian posture is to, to name and identify people that have set themselves up as leaders or spokespeople or people that ought to be listened to like politicians, they, they put themselves in places where they know they're going to be criticized. And I think the church should play a prophetic role of calling out bad behavior and ways that um, their decisions are fostering the oppression of people that are, are uh, marginalized. And I think that it's, um, it's Christian people have every right and every responsibility to call out Christian quote unquote leaders, which Again, there's no, like, there's, that's such a, as an evangelical person, like, that we, we don't have a church hierarchy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's no such thing as, like, leaders in our churches. That These are just people that have big platforms. and But if they purport to speak for God, I think it's, they make them, they open themselves up to critique and criticism. Um, so, I think it's worth naming all these realities for what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that that, that that is divisive, but... At the same time, there's so much noise right now. Right. What always frightens me is when I see something dangerous and no one's talking about it. Um, a time like right now, when everyone freaks out and is saying all kinds of stuff, that's the time where I prefer to be quiet because everybody's saying too much stuff, and it's usually cacophonous and stupid. Because it's not. It's not what I mean. I see by that stupid. you've listened to our last podcast. Yes. Oh no, I haven't. <laughs> But what I mean is, like, if 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 the, if you think that this is a moment of alarm, then you probably don't have the cultivated imagination and the deep well of of knowledge and awareness to speak to it coherently. Like, um, like with the like the outbreak of racial violence, um, I remember there were calls for pe- pastors to say stuff about this in their churches, and I wrote something like, "Don't I don't think that that's the case because I think that if pastors like." Just this week, I realized we have a race problem in our country. It's like, well, uh, well you're probably going to say something dumb about it if you just start talking about it this week. You know what I mean? You'll probably be working from like a warm sense of like white sentimentality and not really be prepared to speak from a profound Christian awareness about what's actually going on. So the thing is, if we're not going to, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying we should all just shut up, but if we if we actually opt for silence, there are postures available for being Christian, like um, lamenting, confessing sin, or even prayer times of prayer for insight and wisdom. And um, you know, this is still a good week for political action, for intense political action, of going down to your local soup kitchen and say that you could work a shift, or like volunteering to like take over a shift at a at, you know at a homeless shelter. That's 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 powerful political action in the local polis, but you know I don't think that people like. What are you going to do about January sixth right now or this week? What are you going to do about it? I don't know what I can do about it. I know that I'm not going to get on a bus and go to Washington dressed like a Viking. But, but aside <laughs> from that, aside from that, I don't know what I can positively do. But I know that I can write a letter to someone who's incarcerated. I know that I can you know, make a donation to my loan, my local charity that's um, helping people, homeless people get into sustainable housing. I can do that. Mm. I, I mean, but 
you know, I, I've got friends and relatives who, you know, are, have fallen victim to conspiracy theories. I, I can pray for them and give them a call and see how they're doing, ask them how they're doing, but I will not enter into any discussion about, about that topic because like I said, it's a mania. It's an enslavement. It's not like an, it's not like an idea that we can debate. It doesn't work at the at the ideational level. It works at the emotional, visceral, gut felt level. Hmm. But I don't know. Yeah. And I can have joy and I can go I can get some, you know, have carnitas burritos tonight and <laughs> I, I guess I'm just trying to portray a scenario. I'm not trying to make this unserious. I'm trying to say the serious moment. We have to look back and see that the serious moment was the moment that another group that I don't belong to, like immigrants, was demonized, and I thought that was no big deal. Yeah. I thought, yeah, do you know what I mean? Like that was the time when Christians should have stood up and said, no, 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 immigrants and our our delightful duty, our duty of delight to welcome them and uh, and offer them hospitality as honored guests. That's under threat by this political candidate. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, and, and like, if I did not as a pastor stand up in a pulpit that week and say, we are under threat. If any of you see this as something hopeful and promising that, that, that's, that's a five mm-hmm. alarm fire. Mm-hmm. If I didn't see it then, then I don't have the cultivated imagination to start talking about anything. Now I'll probably, <laughs> I'll probably say something stupid. Like the temple of democracy was desecrated, which is complete paganism. Like that's, that's Christian nationalism. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because the temple of democracy is a, is a temple to a pagan deity. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Stafford, anything else you want to talk about? No, I think that the, I, and the capitalism conversation was uh, similar. I mean, there's obviously similar threads that run through all this stuff. The idea of, um, I, I do think it's so important that pastors, if they have been having this conversation or are trying to continue to have, I think the mania is true. And it's like watching it, it felt like WrestleMania. Like the dude, the dude in the bison hat was like, this is people wearing capes and um, Christian flag capes and Donald Trump capes and um, it was like a WrestleMania event. There was, there was, you know, as somebody who has watched wrestling their entire life, I was like, wow. Um, <laughs> but this idea where people, it's hard for people to hear in the middle of mania and in the middle of the alarm, the five alarm and that kind of stuff. But the pastors who continue, if they've felt the conviction of this to continue that conversation out of the, out of the flames and out of the mania, to keep having that conversation with their congregations and with their people and their communities. Cause I, I keep seeing people argue about like saving the term evangelical, like this is what it means and it doesn't mean what it's become and we need to take it back. Then I, the name itself means nothing to me. And I, and I don't know that there's a, there's a lot of, how do we save the church? I don't know that we can save the church, but I do like the idea of, um, and that the church is, the group of people that I worship with here and, uh, and then the, and then our community around us and how, mm-hmm. and if a lot of pastors started to take that approach, That's um, right. as they're, as they're kind of breaking away or, or learning how to reinvest, if they're just like, 
this is about my community, um, those who are marginalized in my community. And if all little pastors start to do that all over the place, I don't know that I don't know that we can ever win the battle, the evangelical battle. But I don't know that we're even supposed to be fighting that battle anymore. Like, it feels like a lost cause to try to reclaim um, all of that nonsense, the nostalgia bomb, you know, the Franklin Graham part of the world. But if all these little pastors are really investing and trying to make a difference in their communities, I don't know. I I got hope in that. I think there's something cool in there, and um, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, Russell just Mania's thinking fun. about what'd you say, Russell? Mania, dude, what year was that? It was like 84 or 85 when the King Kong one? Bundy oh. and Andre the Giant went up against Hulk Hogan. And who, who else was it? Probably, who was like, it? I don't know how many times I watched Watch that. Man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just think if I were a pastor, I would, I would want to be thinking about just the fundamentals of being Christian. Yeah. Like, lo- we love one another, lay down our lives for one another. We love our neighbors as ourselves. Uh, we we love our enemies and pray for them. And just even, like, pondering that and pressing that and pressing it over weeks and thinking about where, where in our collective imagination of our social body, of just this church— do we have resentments against anybody? Do we actually have enemies that we're struggling to love? Are they Republicans? Are they Democrats? Are they Muslims? Are they, you know, who are they? That's where we have our community work. That That's where we have our work to do, to yeah. go at our own resentments, our own hatreds, our own failures to love, our own, like, what is it about our imagination that I see Democrats as the enemy? What is it about our imagination I see Republicans as the enemy? Why don't I see them as my neighbor that I'm so blessed to just get to know and to, to love and to serve and to listen to? And like, why don't I see it as hopeful that I could grieve with those who grieve, even if they're of a different political party? And why don't I see it as hopeful that I could rejoice with those who rejoice, even if they are a different, even if they don't, they don't have like, um, you know, citizen status. I mean, so I think I'd want to just camp on Christian identity and then ask what, what are the roadblocks why do we why do we see people who watch a different news channel as the problem? That's a that's a problem for us. That that's a challenge that we have to go to work on. And all of the stuff that we say in response to those kind of questions, like, well, they will, will they support, will they, will they, those are that those are basically those are our idols talking. And we need to go to work on those. Because hmm. I, I see it. I've been trained to see it as hopeful that we would have all conservatives on the bench, or I've been trained to see it as hopeful to have all liberals on the bench. Like, why do I have hope in, in this nation? Why do I have hope in this country? Why is my hope not in the kingdom of God and in and the coming of the son of man, who is going to just make all countries and all Supreme courts irrelevant forever? Why is that not my hope? You know, what, what is preventing me from having my hope there? Mm-hmm. You know, and what's Jesus going to think, on the day when I face him and he asked me, why was I not welcoming foreigners? Why was I not visiting prisoners? Why was I resentful of, why was I not loving my neighbor? Will he care if, if I tell him, well, he was a Democrat or my neighbor was a Republican. That's why I didn't obey you for my life, you know, my whole life because my, well, you know, you know how my neighbor is. He had that one candidate sign in his yard. 
is Jesus going to say, well, all right, I'll give you a pass. You know, you didn't have to obey me because your neighbor is sort of a difficult to love person. <laughs> it's not going to fly. So it's like, we've got to be cultivating communities of that kind of warm hearted love and see the challenge as not as going to work on ourselves and not our neighbors. That's, I can't do anything about my neighbor, Yeah, but I can love him. I can hear his life story. I can shovel his driveway, you know, I can whatever. Yeah. So it's really, it's basically getting back to just fundamental Christian identity and not, not letting all the other noise and stuff, gaining the courage to not let all the other stuff in, in our culture hijack what it means to be Christian. Hmm, totally. That's such a good word, dude. Well, that's my friend, I'm not saying that's not a challenge. Oh no, it's. <laughs> I think it's. I think it's easy. There's <laughs> a couple of books out there that give us three easy steps. No problem. Yeah, um, go through the whole YouTube discography. There it is, and, Mike. Um, and you'll be you'll be healed. Yes. <laughs> and then to protect yourself against the seven demons that may come back. Pearl Jam. That just there kind of, that's the, that's the capper. Yeah. Good chaser. Um, <laughs> anyway, Tim, and thanks for being such a great friend and a good conversation partner. You yeah, always, man, I was glad to talk with you guys. No, you always challenge, challenge our thoughts. So we're very grateful that you're so generous with your time, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. I always love hanging out. And if you want more Gombas... Let me encourage you to check out Faith Improvised, wherever you get your podcasts. It is um, unfiltered, very Markin Gombas. Um, he's he's done a, been doing a series on the Book of Mark, but but really really good stuff. Uh, he's got a book coming out that we're going to talk about on the show, hopefully uh, yeah, in cool. February. Called it's called Power and Weakness: Paul's Ooh. Transformed Vision for Ministry. I read, had the privilege of reading an early uh, version of this, and and I'm not saying it just because Tim's here, but literally one of the best books on ministry um, as a cruciform um, service to the body as opposed to a platform building exercise I've ever read. I mean, I, I would really encourage you in fact we may we may try to snag some copies and give it away but anyway that i would i would want you if you're in any way attached to jesus following or vocational ministry or both um i'd want you to check that out and then um he also has a blog those are still th real in the world called faith improvised so there you go ladies and gentlemen anything else you me throw out there tim not me i think not that's cool i'm no, thanks for hanging out. Absolutely. Stafford, last words? Nope. <laughs> yeah, so that was a a subdued Tim Gombas. And I love it. I love I love that someone that smart is just willing to sit and like, I don't know. I'm working this out. I'm I'm verbally processing. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I love that. We need to get these videos. We need to start putting these up as videos so that people can see because everything you just said, the way you just described him, there's a complete physical embodiment of exactly that that's happening in real time the whole time too. That I feel like people are missing out on like his his actual physical processing of information. Is, yeah, is he leans fun. back, he takes his hat off, he squints his eyes. <laughs>
And it's like, yeah, this is he, you He's can burning calories in thought. <laughs> he does a 10 mile walk at 445 in the morning is what he told us. That's wild. Um, we, we wanted to, we weren't originally planning on doing an outro to this, but as is Mr. Stafford's want, he began to say some things in response to the interview we just heard that I was like, oh, well, this, I think this, we should talk about this. So kind of pick up, Tim, just what you were telling me, like literally 30 seconds ago. Yeah, I conversations like that and everything that's happened over the last two weeks and obviously multiple um, times over my lifetime. I think that a conversation like that always makes me think about hope and how to reconcile hope or reconcile the things that we're seeing through that. So what I mean by that is looking at um, this, what feels like a crisis in the church. Obviously, it was a crisis in the nation, but just from the church perspective, what do we have hope in? Because people seem to be either really, most people just kind of seem to be hopeless, actually. I don't Mm. see a lot of hopeful Mm. people. And if they are hopeful, often it seems um, in a magical way. Yes. God will deliver, um, all that kind of stuff. And so I don't put a lot of stock in that, but I don't want to put stock in the hopelessness. And the example that I gave Mike off Mike, Mike off Mike, that'd be a good name (laughs) for a show for you. Uh, was how growing up people would always talk about our time here on on earth as the only hell you'll ever know. And I can't wait to get to heaven and this is terrible and people are terrible and blah, blah, blah. And I just remember my response was always just like, man, God made all this. And he was like, this is pretty good. Mm -hmm. This is cool. And he was invested in this life of humanity. And I've just always kind of wanted to pursue joy that may not come through in my tone all the time, but I've always wanted to pursue joy, and I think there's something to our time here. I think it's I think it's worth something. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of great. Why were you thinking and of joy? So, why were you thinking of joy though, or hope? Excuse me, in response to what we just heard. Uh I just when he when Gamas is kind of picking apart, like uh, maybe it was. I don't know if it was in response to where. Um, if you can start having the conversation now or not, um, I agree with him that the 20, you know, 2015 or before, um, when all this rhetoric began, we should have collectively just been like, whoa, 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 whoa. Instead, so much of the church latched onto it for some reason, you know, for many reasons, but it's, it's fascinating. But I do have hope that, that, um, that the church can learn something and can reinvest or reinvigorate or not even, those are terrible words find a new way forward and we're really good americans are and christians are also really good at at trying to make big declarations when we're in the middle of the flames like holy moly everything's going crazy um now's the time and then when the flames die down a little bit just forgetting about it and and waiting for the next fire to Mm. make a big statement the things he was talking about about training not training but really investing and speaking into your congregation about these conversations should be ongoing. We've heard that from a lot of our um, black brothers and sisters that are pastors and stuff that's like, you need to keep having these conversations. We have been having these conversations. Y'all need to keep having these conversations going forward. 
we need to listen to that and continue mm-hmm. these conversations. But I have hope in that conversation. So I just I think hope is an interesting thing for us to talk about in the wake of all of this carnage. I don't know. This is all real time thoughts so that may have been jumbled, but um, I well, first of all, I really <laughs> Mike off Mike on Mike would be the better <laughs> title. Yeah. Secondly, yes, this world is not my home. This world sucks. Can't wait to escape this place. Man, that has its roots deep in some false false teaching and contributes to some degree when we don't understand our relationship to the wider world and culture. Um, uh, yeah. Then we're, then we're either escaping or we're trying to take it over. And neither yeah. of those is an option for Jesus people. Neither one of those. Um, my third thought is, I was as I was listening to you, I was thinking I am in, I am incredibly hopeful. Like I'm, I find myself so invigorated by what's happening in the world. Now, some of that is anger, and anger is incredible fuel, right? We can, yeah. when we're angry, tiredness goes away, and. But, but but for me, I'm more of a like flash in the pan kind of anger person, right? I get mad, I get over it quick. I don't hang on usually to stuff. This is a more settled, energetic, like opposition. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I and I and and but it's like we talked about at the end of the year about the church. It, it's like here's here's what I can liken it to. So last year, for me. Um, was incredibly transformational because I was finally willing to hear the truth about myself in ways that were very painful, um, but took exposing to get to. And and you know if you don't know what I'm talking about, the the, the story's told other places. But there, I, I became. Hearing the truth became something that went from being scary to being liberating. And I don't know how or when, but, but it did. Hearing the truth about me in my character fractures and flaws and sins and patterns became something that became very liberating. And it was like, oh, oh, I had right. no idea. I had no idea that was all connected. Didn't excuse a darn thing, not even remotely. But that posture of seeking the truth about me, it, 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 un, it unlocked a lot of growth. Um, yeah. And some of that was shame. Like, oh, I've always, no wonder I've always pretended to not be this because I am this. Um, but, but more of what was unlocked was liberation and the, the seeing of patterns. A similar thing is happening to our church for those who are willing to hear the truth about us. And I find that in the same way I used to feel defensive, I find that incredibly liberating to see, yeah. nope, this, this really is us. Like, and when when Tim talks about, hey, these these sacred political practices of hospitality and enemy love and lament. Um, and prayer for those who persecute us, like, 
Lord, that is the most political stuff we can be doing. And it is the most subversive, radical stuff. And I'm like, I'm all in for it. And I like, I, I said in there too, some point, like I, I am, I guess, kind of hopeless and not in a, in a, in the generalized sense or maybe in a generalized sense about much of the church. Um, I see a lot of hearts and voices that are so hard. I don't know that I don't know, but I don't, I also don't know that it's my place to, to try to crack that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I do see, I don't know that the church has ever fully realized it's, um, what you just said in talking about Gombas, like the loving of neighbor and the investment in the community and that kind of stuff. I don't think the church has ever fully realized its true mission and calling. No, that's always and, been social justice or like, um, what, what do we call it? Servant evangelism. It wasn't yeah, just we, being we Christian. We haven't gotten there yet. It wasn't being so I, Christian. That gives me hope. Right. It gives me hope because it's not like we did it and we found it to be empty or unfruitful or we failed at it. I just don't think we've even gotten there yet. Yeah. So it's like, we're still on this, what I think is a positive journey of becoming more Christ-like in pursuing just those simple things. Like the Matthew 25 stuff is just, that verse has haunted me for like two years. And I was on another podcast. It kept coming up at the beginning of this year, like three or four times in a row in conversations Mm -hmm. with people in different contexts, unprovoked. And I was like, all right, I don't know how God speaks, but this verse has been slapping me in the face over and over again. I'm going to try to listen a little bit to see what, but it's like, if the church focused on that and we did it, which we haven't all the way. So I have hope in that. I have hope that the church can get to the point of what, to becoming the bride that we were intended to be. Yeah. And I don't think that we have. And I and yeah. that gives me a lot of hope. Yes. But I don't have a lot of hope in the, I just, I just don't care about reclaiming names or reclaiming um, platforms or reclaiming anything. I, I really just want to do what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, and try to inspire the people around me to do the same, and 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 to do that for those people, and to serve the people in my gen, my my community, and then the community around us. And I really think that's transformational. If if pastors and Christians started to do that everywhere, yeah. I think there would be massive ripple effects. Yeah, just like massive ripple effects. You know, instead of fighting for or um voting for ding dong Kavanaugh's yeah. into judiciary seats. Yeah. You know, if we focused on things like um loving young um unwed single pregnant women who are short on options. You know, giving them a family around them if they don't have it. I don't know, tangible things like that. I see I see a lot of I have a lot of hope in that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The gift the gift that we've been given is utter clarity. Like you can't, yeah. I mean, you you now have to willfully turn away. Um, yes. We are now, it feels like, and maybe I'm overstating this, but it feels like we are without excuse uh, if we're not honest about the failure of discipleship and political imagination uh, in the yes. church in America. And so your example is totally right on with that. Your journey, like it's, it, you have that moment where you can choose to look away or you choose to, um, go through the scary part. And I think we're all there. I think we're all there all the time yeah. with 
this and with everything else in our lives, you, you're constantly choosing to choosing your posture. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think that we together can do this. Well, and and I and if I could extend that parallel for just a second without you know making this about me at all, but I see parallels so so clearly. Like, um, for me, I, I realized that competence in my chosen pastoral profession was a way to hide uh, shame and to soothe shame and to cover shame. And um, you take away that competence and you're left with just the shame. And, you know, and, and for years, the competence of evangelicalism, look at how big our churches are, look at how, you know, influential our politics are, look at how much cultural weight we carry, look at our rock stars and our artists and our athletes you know what I mean? Like there was just this sense of yeah. we could hide, we could hide our shame behind we our competence. Sought after, voted block. That's a lot of power, misplaced yeah. power. Yeah, and how big's the Christian market? You know, in terms of just spending dollars, and you and and you realize, oh, so that we were just using that to cover our shame. You know what I mean? And all yeah. of these red herrings that are being thrown out now about CRT and. Um, homosexuality and women, women pastors by the people that have enabled racism and covered sexual abuse, you just realize, okay, the gift to me is clarity, clarity about myself. And that, and, and this really is the journey of all of us, right? We can't go prophetically screwing around in the world, calling stuff out in Jesus's name, unless the logs in our own eyes are at the forefront of our vision. Totally. Right. And it's so empty. it is totally empty. And so for me, what the source of hope, not only because I've seen Jesus of Nazareth be real, like when, when the chips are down and it's crappy and there's nowhere else to turn, I've seen him. I've seen him. I've just seen. I've just seen it and um, in unexplainable ways. But he loves his bride too damn much. Um, to let this, if he was willing to deconstruct the religion, his father founded, right? Uh, are we surprised that he would firmly, um, yet out of kindness, show the light of truth into all of these dark recesses we've hid behind our competence? Yeah. And for those of us who, I mean, we really are presented with a choice, you know, do we look? And say, yep, that is us. And that is me. Yep. And then repent and grow. Or or do we just continue to look away? So I like that, Timothy. I really, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, because I, I do feel an urgency I didn't feel on January 5th. And I don't know if that's bad or not. Um, yeah. I feel a different, I feel a different kind of clarity. Um. So I, yeah, so I don't know. And I, and I feel like there are loads of pastors who are in the situation of, yeah, I don't have time to read books on the history of evangelicalism. I'm just dealing with <laughs> the people in my church and it's here now yeah. and I'm still a pastor. And so what do I do? Yeah. So lots of, lots of grace for those of us in that space too. Yes.
you know. Any last thoughts, my friend? No, those were my last thoughts. <laughs> That's how, so we, <laughs> we, we pressed end recording and then Tim starts riffing on this and I'm like, dude, come on. This is so good. <laughs> so good. So anyway, friends, thanks for listening. We really, we really, and I say this a lot, but we're really grateful for you. And we're really grateful yeah. that you trust us with your time and your attention. So thanks for that. Till next time, my friends. Um, we'll talk after the inauguration, hopefully. And uh, hopefully, all will be well. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Thank you for listening to this conversation. The Vox Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Vox Podcast. You can also engage with the hosts on social media at facebook.com backslash Vox Podcast, on Instagram at Vox Podcast, and on Twitter at Mike Erie. Thank you for walking this road with us. <laughs>